Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb Smith. I'm Terrell Couch. And I'm Torrance Witherspoon. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to have a variety hour, spring cleaning edition. Welcome back to Dangerously Likely. Um, today, as you guys heard in the title, we are going to be doing a variety hour spring cleaning edition. And what we mean by that is there's a ton of topics that have been happening in pop culture and politics over the last two months um, that, of course, on this show, we cannot cover everything. But as young millennials, uh, we definitely have thoughts on all these things going on in the world. And so we thought, um, let's air out some of the things we've been thinking about. Let's share our opinions, share our thoughts, and of course, still try to touch on the things that are very important um, to our listeners and to, to the country as a whole. Um, so we won't we won't shy away from making sure we get into the details on things that are important, but we also want to have a little fun today, talk about a little pop culture, a little entertainment, um, and you know, just enjoy ourselves amongst each other. But I did want to start off this episode um, by congratulating our co-host Caleb Smith on graduating with his MBA from <laughs> Boise State University. Um, he didn't know I was going to be doing that, but congratulations, Caleb. We're really That's excited. That's why the awkward laugh happened. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Torrance. You know, it's an honor to uh, graduate, I guess. <laughs> you did so much work to get here. You really mastered it. Uh-huh. Oh, I, uh, that was that was funny. Nice. I know. He's, he's been saying that same pun for the last three days. On it's because media. you missed the perfect opportunity and it did hurt my heart. Anywho. Look, I just have to find a job now, so... If anyone has a job out there for me, let me know. You know, the job market's just really, really bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. It's going to be real hard for you. <laughs> we'll keep you updated. We'll keep you updated. So let's get into it. Caleb, you want to lead us off? Yeah. Um, you know, of course, I uh, I have to do this. Um, my first little round robin discussion piece is going to be about climate change. But it's actually around a really interesting video from Vox that I watched literally 20 minutes ago um, about the ozone layer and how we never talk about the ozone layer. Um, There used to be a time, even I remember this to an extent of when like it was a big deal. There was a hole in the ozone layer and like the ozone layer is like these chemicals in the atmosphere that basically protect us from like different radiations and and you can get sunburns and stuff and more cancer basically death <laughs> literally yeah it would destroy environments like if there was no ozone layer um and there's since like the 80s or 70s there's been this big hole that was just only growing above antarctica and in, in the ozone layer and it was kind of something that like i used to hear a lot about and then like as a like when i was much smaller and um in age and then i felt like i don't know if you guys felt this way but I didn't realize that I hadn't heard about it for a long time until I watched this video that was, I don't know, published a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because the world actually banded together and actually like put a stop to this ozone layer causing chemicals, like the destruction of the ozone layer and the chemicals that we were putting into the air. Um, I don't remember the exact uh, uh, UN thing. It was something in Montre- Montreal, Canada, that... Um, hmm. Every it's the only resolution that was unanimous throughout the whole world. The whole world signed on to it to get rid of chemicals that hurts the ozone layer. And now, even today during climate change and whatnot, the ozone layer is healing. Um, you know, something interesting about that in, in terms of like what action is necessary on climate change that I think like your whole premise before highlights something I think quite interesting and maybe 
speaks to the entire like PR messaging issue. Like, so, so obviously you just like share with us that there was an entire international agreement to ban these chemicals that were specifically depleting the ozone layer. And we didn't know about it really, right? Like, like us people who are very much in the current, into current events, you who obviously knows a lot about climate change and, and intentionally seeks out that information, we're unaware of it to this point. But I recall it being like a daily conversation on the news it, it, growing up. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and almost until you brought it up, you know, in, in the pre-show, I was like thinking to myself, damn, when was the last time I heard anything about the ozone layer? Like, does it exist anymore? Is it just gone and we've given up on it? Like, right? Like, like... Are we, are, are shit, is shit getting sucked in the space? Um, but like, I think that clearly there is, there are solutions that we can implement at an international level to, to, to roll back climate change that do not have some sort of impact on us, on, on, on industry, on our daily lives that can do a lot of good that, that will not change our normal practices, right? Like I know there are going to be things that we are going to have to make heavy lifts on in our in our daily practices, but the idea of a chemical that clearly was very prevalent in a lot of things that was depleting the ozone layer, having been universally disbanded, I think speaks to the the power of large industry and in making those changes that will have large impacts and that, that will not ask the consumer to make constant changes in their practices. And I wonder what other solutions exist like that, that we aren't having the political or say even the capitalist courage to make the decision. But like, I do think some, an important contextual caveat that I would always add is where say. we are then the versus context. where we are, where we were then versus where we are now is we're very much at a all hands on deck, red sirens are flashing we are entering a climate catastrophe space. So uh, yes, I agree. I very much recall always having to talk about the ozone layer and understanding the scientific piece. But at the same time, I feel like we've reached the point where those incremental changes just aren't enough. And that's why we have the Paris Climate Agreement. That's why we have these bigger, broader conversations of we globally need to start making some very specific thoughtful changes if we're going to make a real reduction. While this was a great opportunity to fix one specific problem, um, I just feel like we're in a space right now where the problems are so massive and so big and people are seeing it every day, whether it be wildfires, it's snowing in Boise, Idaho on May 9th. Like all of these pieces, it's hard to just say like, oh yeah, we're going to get rid of a chemical and that'll fix it. Yeah. what I think the point though of this was like, the world actually came together to do something because the problem was like right now and it would, it could actually kill us all. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like what happened is they banned this chemical and then they got the industry to do it too, like industries around the world to do it because it was a chemical that you found just in like, like I not, I don't know if Febreze ever had this, but like Febreze air fresheners and shit like that. Like, and it, once it went up into the atmosphere and into the ozone layer, it was like, it was something that lasted hundreds of years. So um, ban they banned this. And then what actually happened is they, they, those like companies started using, don't quote me, but I think, I think the word was hydrocarbons, which are really bad for, it doesn't destroy ozone, but it's really bad for, um, as it's a bad greenhouse gas basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then they actually banned those and it, in the same accord, they amended it. And this was like third, 20 or 30 years ago. And the use of those in these products have actually almost hit zero, just like the other chemical in those products has hit zero in the last 20 to 30 years. So it's like, oh, wow, like we actually did something about it. 
And I agree with you. I think it's, I think climate change itself is a little bit more complicated because I think it's a lot of heavy lifting and changing, not only incentives around the world of how we um, interact with energy, but also uh, just how many things go into energy because all of our systems and structures and whatnot are based off of that. So I think it is a little bit more difficult, but I don't know, seeing stuff like that, like it gives me a little bit of hope that maybe we can, we can do the heavy lifting, even if it's last minute for climate, climate change. But, um, I don't know. I don't know. It was just a, it was just an interesting, it was a positive, it was a positive story to read about something the world actually came together on in regards to, uh, almost devastation. And I think, well, just one last point I want to plug on there is that like, to your point, this, and we know this, but I think it, it, it needs to be repeatedly said until it's understood, which is that the heavy lifts that we're being asked now are 100% due to inaction. They are due to inaction and the longer we wait, the heavier the lifts will become, the more drastic the changes will be. We, we, we are doing this to ourselves as we have been. And to not recontextualize this in, in an understanding that the longer we wait, the more we'll have to do, the more drastic our, the change of our, our everyday lives will be. And here's the thing, like we can play politics, we can play selfish behavior um, in society, but at the end of the day, like the climate doesn't give a fuck about that. It's going to keep changing if we keep on treating it the way that it is. And we are going to be the ones to suffer the catastrophic wrath. And this isn't something that your, your, your MAGA Donald Trump can do anything about. He cannot change mother nature's will. So we keep fucking around and we're going to find out. But he alone can fix it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I believe it's Torrance's. So my topic today is a little less enlightening as the positive news of finding out about a, um, the ozone apparently healing, but um, it's nonetheless very important. I wasn't on the pod last week after the draft opinion um, from SCOTUS leaked regarding uh, the Mississippi abortion ban that is being um, argued and decided in the Supreme Court right now. Um, this draft opinion, of course, leaked saying, uh, written by Justice Samuel Alito, saying that they will be overturning Roe v. Wade and not in just the way that people had kind of already thought they might, which would have been drastically gutting Roe v. Wade's protections, um, but but nonetheless actually overturning it and writing an opinion that suggests that this is not where the action on these such bills, these religious led bills will end on putting other um, rights at stake after this, if this opinion were to be real Um, or not real, it it has been verified, but ends up being the the final decision of the Supreme court um, come the issue of the decision in um, mid to late June. And I want to get into this and and I want to talk about it from a couple of different angles, and I'm sure that our conversation will go there naturally. Um, The issue, I was disheartened, right? Like it it breaks my heart. It makes me very pissed off. I constantly find myself in this headspace where I'm debating like, what kind of country do we actually live in and how many lies are we told on a daily basis about freedom, about liberty, about free speech, et cetera. Um, Especially from a party that see that, that, you know, fancies itself the, champion of those rights while also at the very same time hypocritically um, pursuing cases, pursuing legislation that flies in the face of those things. Um, And bodily autonomy for women has got to stop being a conversation that we are having as a country. 
we need to we need to move beyond abortion. This is bodily autonomy that needs to be at the center of, of the discussion we're having when it comes to abortion. Because having the conversation about fetuses, about embryos, about babies gets away from the central point that we are forcing that we that we force any decision about a woman's body to be regulated by the state in any way. It's a women's health issue. It, we can't ignore that it is a women's health issue. It is a, it is a women's health issue, but it is a bodily autonomy issue in the context in which we are constantly talking about it with abortion. Because here's the thing, if it was just a women's health issue, we wouldn't be having these conversations and, and abortions would fall under the same protections that other things do. And we wouldn't be, it wouldn't be allowed to be talked about outside of the doctor and, and the patient. You know, I just think you just seek the care that is available. Um, I mean, we have the statistics on safe abortions. This is not a, some sort of healthcare procedure that results in the death of, of, of women at some rate that is alarming. This is a perfectly safe procedure. It, we, there are now pills that people can take that do not that do not require an invasive procedure. And I just am kind of sick, and I'm trying to deny the premise of all this discussion by saying it's unacceptable that we're still discussing it. It's unacceptable that this is still something that is contentious in a in a country that fancies itself the land of the free. Yeah. It's all a fucking lie at that point. I, I mean, that's my point too, right? Is it is a women's health issue. It, it that is the core, but there is an extremist group, the conservative party, that has siloed the issue as if it is not just that, and that's. I mean, if any of our listeners have seen my tweets, follow me on Twitter. I know you guys have like, that is the crux of my argument here is I a hundred percent agree. We should not still be having this argument in 2022 when we're supposed to be like the Jefferson or the Jetsons and flying hovercrafts and living in the sky because we become so advanced. We should not still be stuck at a conversation that we had in the early 1900s. I'm going to use that just to like relate to our younger audience. Um, but it is at the end of the day, a women's health issue. The reason Roe v. Wade landed in privacy is because it is a health issue. It is a, a procedure that you have with your medical provider and only you two need to know that. You can sign documents that allows for your spouse to know. You can provide information on your own autonomy but at the end of the day, it is a women's health issue. And that is a space and place that I, I'm proud that the populace is starting to argue and, and finally hold on to. But I think we're starting to recognize that it's a little too late. And also on top of that, we need to be honing in on the fact that the conservative party is flying a face to societal norms that allowed for Supreme Court decisions to be seen as law. And those are the places that we do need to be having more genuine conversations. When you see people frustrated that Roe v. Wade hasn't been codified into law after all these years and trying to use it as a talking point to hinder um, or to give them an excuse not to vote for Democrats in the midterm, it it's so disingenuous to the true nature and the state of how this country has functioned because of a decision by the Supreme Court in the 1800s. It was assumed that when the Supreme Court decided what constitutionality was, that was the end all to be all. States wouldn't challenge it. Other people wouldn't challenge it because the Supreme Court, which interprets the supreme law of the land, made a decision to say this is how the Constitution handles that. 
And for the first time in our history, we're watching as a group of extremists are challenging that societal norm and pushing against this belief. Um, And now we're watching because they've crumbled so many institutions, them potentially getting away with it. And those are the points that need to be talked about. People need to understand how their government works so that they understand at the end of the day, yeah, you might be mad at the Democrats because they didn't codify Roe v. Wade over the last 50 plus years, but the societal norm was that they didn't have to. The Supreme Court already ruled on it. That That's how we function. What you should be mad about is the fact that there are 50 senators in our Senate right now who don't even have the courage to say that a woman deserves the option to get an abortion if it means her life might be put at risk. The woman, A woman deserves an option if her autonomy and uh, and self-ability was taken from her because she was raped by a friend, a cousin, a family member, any of the above. Those are the problems. But we're too stuck in this, this air of, well, fix it immediately. And that's my end all frustration. I'm about to go on a tangent. So I'm going to kick it to you, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I just like the, the leak that we saw like a week and a half ago, I feel like has really started to open the floodgates for like a lot of like, don't get me wrong. A lot of red states have, um, have trigger abortion bans, uh, for when the Roe v. Wade gets overturned. But, um, I don't know. You have a lot of states specifically, it seems like in the South that are now starting to make it an actual homicide. You can go to jail for having an abortion now. And it's just, death penalty. it's so, it's so fucked up. I just like, I don't even know what kind of words we have. And like, you have like one of the justices saying, oh, just, just put it up for adoption. Okay. Like, I just, it's just a fundamental, like, obviously this was a plan for a long time for Mm -hmm. this party. Um, So I actually don't know. I was about to say, this is a fundamental misunderstanding of how adoption can be traumatic for the child. Um, is traumatic, not it's, can be. Is traumatic. Is traumatic. Pregnancy affects yeah. women's bodies in weird ways. System doesn't work. <laughs> yes. Um. I I, I want to say fundamental. Well, actually, I don't want to say fundamental misunderstanding because it's not that they're doing it intentionally, even though they probably know the consequences of all of this. And so, I. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I. There's a lot of people that are like, oh. Like that, like this should help Democrats in the midterms. And like, I'm sorry to go to politics here, but I, I'm unsure. I'm I'm unsure because there's so many people that don't understand why 50 Democrats who control the houses can't pass it now. And well, first of all, it's probably only 49 because we don't know about Manchin. Manchin's a Democrat, but also, well, but he's said he's been against codifying Roe though. Well, yeah, he is against codifying Roe. Yeah. Yeah. And I, but he's a Democrat. I, that's fine. I just mean 49, there's only 40, there's not enough votes anyways. <laughs> if if well, it was only 50, 50, you need 60 votes, but if you only needed 50, you don't even have enough anyways with all the control you have and people don't understand that. So does it backfire? I don't know. Well, so I'm going to go into a bunch of that actually. So, so bear with me here. So 
we're speaking to this fundamental thing that we've we've discussed many times in, in context of other things, that our democracy is completely broken and not just some in some abstract way, but in very specific and tangible ways in which we are we are seeing the outcomes of how of how that that lack of a functioning fair democracy, representative democracy, ends up playing out in our laws in both the judicial branch and the legislative branch. So to specific to speak to the the statistics around society where society is at in america we've with a um cbs yougov poll conducted in the past two weeks or last week um that 64 percent of americans want to keep roe v wade as it is 36 percent want to overturn it is that among those wanting to keep it wanting it kept overturning roe v wade would 84 percent say move country in the wrong direction 82 percent be a danger to women and 82 percent say be a dangerous for americans rights and then it says that among women under 50, they asked if Roe v. Wade is overturned, would it lead to more restrictions on birth control? And they believe that 66% believe that it will. And so I, I share those statistics uh, to, to paint a picture about something else. And you know me, the voting rights person who has been reaping on, has been reaping on these things for the past year, which is we have a Supreme Court where five of the sitting members of the Supreme Court were appointed by two presidents who did not get the popular vote in their election. Okay. Their will did not represent the popular will of the people. We have a Senate in which the 50 Democrats in the Senate represent almost 40 million people, more, more citizens than the Republicans represent the other 50. We do not live in a fair representative democracy and our judicial system and our Supreme Court I and mean, in our, in our legislative system is showing that. You can't, and this is just like voting rights, you can't have consistently 60, 70% um, support on issues that cannot make it past the Supreme Court and cannot pace, make it past our, our legislative body in this country and seem to think that somehow our government represents the people. It is a fucking lie. It's not true. We have systems that have made it this way, but we need to stop. We need to stop acting like it isn't what it is. We don't have that, and 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 it's an issue. I I just need to push back slightly, of because, course, <laughs> because it, <laughs> it is unfair and not diligent for us to not call out the fact that three of those Supreme Court justices currently sit on the court because of Mitch McConnell, who is not been elected nationally, who had no reason or rationale to hold a Supreme Court seat. That is in a very, very important context here. Along that line, for our listeners, everyone knows, I do agree with the Electoral College. I do think it is an important part for our republic, because we are not inherently a democracy, um, which gets into a whole thing, and I hate when conservatives bring that point up. Semantics, my God. I hate when conservatives bring it up, but it is an important part because I was recently having a conversation with a, a colleague about this because it, it is fair to be frustrated. It is fair to know that the state of California represents more of a population than almost half of the states in the continental U.S. That is inherently frustrating. But because of that, there are different advantages and different spaces that California is able to be leaps and bounds ahead of other, other people. Uh, Idaho is a great example. While Boise is a great place that I feel comfortable in, the infrastructure here is miserable. The amount of funding we get is atrocious. Uh, it's such a rural state that it cannot be held to or compared to a standard equivalent of your California, Oregon's, Washington's, and so forth. 
that is why I do genuinely feel that it is important to recognize that our lived experiences, and this is actually going to be my round robin in a music context, our lived experiences and our, our perspectives are so inherently different based on where we are raised. And to just disavow that and say that because California and New York have such major epicenters of people that they can carry an election to me will never feel fair. It will feel like another form of disenfranchisement. It'll feel like another uh, opportunity for our country to not serve the people in a in an appropriate way. See, but here's the thing that I take issue with that, which is not unfair. It's not unfair. I, I know what you're getting at. I get yeah. that. But at, like, at what point are, are you making that argument while not acknowledging that the exact opposite thing is constantly happening but because of that? Like, we don't, like, we are making it. decisions, like, that are not representative of the will of the people and being stuck with it to protect the minority in a way that is not even, like, it, the minority is so small that I do think that we are not making the right decision. I, I don't think it's equally balanced for the sake yeah. of a system that is not working anyway. But that's that was going to be my follow-up, right, is... We need to. We also need to own that we are not operating in a system that is functioning how it was intended. <clears throat> the Electoral College was not supposed to be bound to its states. The Electoral College was supposed to be a group of, and people are probably going to hate this, a group of elites who were able to go into the room and really have a robust conversation of, did the people vote in a way that is going to carry this country forward? But because of a conversation around democracy and a feeling that that is an effacement to how this country should function, we started to create this sense that we can't have faithless um, electors. We we moved forward with specific legislation to tether their uh, electors to states. By doing that, you get a 2016 election where the the math didn't math, if you will. If you watch TikTok a lot, you get that. Things didn't add up the way that they should. And a lot of conservatives were saying, we don't inherently support this person, but it is against law for us to vote opposite. That is an important context. Additionally, the Supreme Court had no reason to step in and tell Florida that they had to stop their recount, that they were not allowed to really come up with a definitive answer for who won that state, because that state did determine the president in that year. And lastly... To the elector, uh, electoral college point, the executive branch in 2016 deserves more anger and, and pushback for not allowing the population to enter the voting booth in an educated way, knowing that a specific candidate was being investigated for counterterrorism. Treating both the candidates in 2016 as if they were equals allowing one of the candidates to be uh, attacked from an FBI perspective because an investigation happened before candidacy while not allowing the populace to know that an active investigation was happening to a different candidate at the time is part of the reason we're seeing this uh, exacerbated and exponential degradation of our democracy because we have not functioned in a truly perfect democracy in the history of this country, whether it be because people weren't allowed to vote, whether it be because people were treated as um, three-fifths of a person, because 
the Electoral College is operating differently because the Supreme Court's given it so much. All of these points are very important. And uh, I mean, I'm obviously arguing in a vacuum here. We're not going to go back to the 1782 version of the Constitution. I think that's the right year. Don't quote me. Um, but that I do think if we were living in modern times under that, we would see a very vastly different operating system. And I know, and, and just, you know, from the perspective of, I think people and the voters, they're going to say, well, what the fuck does that have to do with my personal rights? You know, like, I think that that's, it is this overcomplicated, like with this messaging of you live in a democracy that's, that's nearly directly representative. And then you have all of these explanations as to why we can't get any thought, anything, anything done. And I think that like, this is a, it's a very fair criticism of the democratic party right now that like, what, what decorum are we holding up to? Like what, what, what level of, of norms are we continuing to try to live up to while the other party is playing a completely different game? They do not give a fuck about our rights. They are in a crusade to take them away. This is what this will be. This decision will be the first time that the Supreme Court makes a a if they if this ends up being the decision, makes a decision that actively takes away the rights of this this large number of citizens, and that is very very concerning. And it's not something that I think that can just be be washed out as as a product of a broken system. Because regardless of that that system being broken, there has to be loud voices that are that are pushing it back back against the reality of the outcomes of that system is broken or not. And I think to the to the electoral college thing, I just want to say like you're right, but 538 elector electors are never going to accurately be able to represent 400 million people's will. That's that's not a system that even on its face can seem to be honest. And I think that we need to be talking about those kinds of things more because we can't just accept these broken systems as the reasoning for why things don't work. We have to start saying, well, the system doesn't fucking work. How are we going to make it work for us? And and in specific, to bring it back to the to you know the abortion um, issue that we have right now, this opinion is so loosely written, especially when it targets and the cases that it cites in the opinion are are alluding. Well, one like I mean, like he 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 cites another case um, from the 2000s, an opinion that talks about women as vessels for um, for the, the infant count in America, right? Like, like these, like, like as if they aren't human beings with their own bodily autonomy to make their own decision. And the fact that he would say that he would, that he would cite an opinion like that in this case speaks to the way they look at women as people in their purpose in our, in our country. And I think that that is disgusting. And if we don't, if we don't, if we keep on talking about the system and not the outcomes, we're going to find ourselves in the same place on marriage equality. And we're going to find ourselves, and we're going to find ourselves in the same place on contraception, on segregation, on interracial marriage. These are all protected under the right to privacy that is protected under the 14th amendments, um, right to Liberty. So and, and right to privacy is not a is not guaranteed in the Constitution, and that's what people need to understand. The right to privacy is is a precedent that was created under the under that the right to liberty ensures privacy. And if every if we're going back to a bare bones Constitution, where if it's not directly written in the Constitution, what ha, what door have we fucking opened? We just have to have our eyes open, right? We need to keep our heads on a swivel. And the immortal words of President Barack Obama: "Don't boo vote." Don't boo vote. Thank you. Next, next. Spring cleaning. <laughs> All right, Trill. <laughs> <laughs> well, that actually is a really good, um, I guess, segue to 
Yeah, yeah, just like that. To my point, right? I, we've talked about this on the pod so much that while we might focus on politics, pop culture plays a critical role in political understanding, political awareness, engagement, so forth and so on. And I'm just going to read a quick little piece from you or for you all. As I get a little older, I realize life is perspective and my perspective may differ differ from yours. I want to say thank you to everyone that's been down with me. All my fans, all my beautiful fans, anyone who's ever gave me a listen, all my people. Kendrick Lamar entered back into the music industry conversation this week with what I personally feel is one of the most seismic tracks um, to ever come out. It's his The Heart Part 5. This is a continuation of his original The Heart, which was a mixtape. And it's the first time we're hearing from him since Damn in 2014, 2015. Black Panther album too. Yeah, Black Panther album as well. What makes this album so important, and the reason I, I mentioned it in the Electoral College is he talks about perspective and he he uses the music video to highlight five different African-Americans that he says, I'm all of them. OJ Simpson, Jesse Smollett, Will Smith, um, Kobe Bryant, and Nipsey Hussle. And each of them have different verses. Each of them bring up different contexts. And I'm at a loss for words, truly, because it's just such a great piece and it's such a great representation for where we are right now as a country. You have these five African-American individuals who all have a different place in pop culture, who have a different space in our own psyche. And Kendrick Lamar is saying, I am all of them. When Jesse Smollett is being taken to trial for um, a false crime report about a hate crime, I'm getting those questions in my workplace. I'm being asked how I felt. When Will Smith smacked someone at the Oscars, I'm being asked how I felt about that. My my colleagues are telling me their opinions, their feelings. When Kobe Bryant passed away, I felt that. Everyone in my community felt that. But I still had to show up and have those conversations and almost be Kobe Bryant in that space and, and talk to and speak to. When Nipsey Hussle died, I had to be there. I had to have conversations about what it meant for Black on Black crime. I had to understand who Nipsey Hussle is speaking personally when I didn't listen to his music and be ready for all the questions I was, I received when OJ Simpson was on trial and everything OJ Simpson has done since I am that perspective. And I don't know how I'm going to pose this to you guys. I don't know if you all have been able to listen and if you haven't, I a hundred percent recommend it, but it, it's that piece of where we are as a culture right now the siloing of of individuals, this aggressive degeneration of a sense of community following COVID, this willingness to, to really advocate for, well, what do the loudest voices say versus what does every voice say has been so burdensome over the last couple of months that hearing uh, Kendrick Lamar come out 
with this music video, with the space was just a breath of fresh air for me personally, it was a really good opportunity to say, yeah, that's how I feel. But also I do need to be thoughtful that there are so many perspectives that I just will never truly understand. And I'm not saying that that's best. And I'm not saying that's perfect. But when I turn on Twitter and I'm watching people call out um, Nancy Pelosi because she's arguing for why there needs to be a conservative party that is sizable and viable and people not understanding that a one party system in this country won't make anything better. It'll only bring up different problems that we weren't prepared for. Yeah, It's that it's understanding those perspectives. So I guess a, a general question opposed to you all, because we talked a little bit about this offline and I know you guys haven't been able to see it, but like, are there perspectives that you guys feel like you aren't seeing? Are you, are you seeing new perspectives in social media right now that are really just giving you the run for your money? <laughs> My example of, getting into a, a conversation with a left-leaning individual who's arguing that Nancy Pelosi saying she wants a conservative party that is based in reality is her buying into their narrative and being a problem. So they have to get rid of her. Are, are you guys seeing those kind of narratives that are really making you question where are we at in our hum, human oh. era? I, uh, I have one. There is a perspective on social media that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is part of the problem for Roe v. Wade because she should have stepped down in 2013 when we when Democrats could still uh, 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 get a Supreme Court justice on. Mm-hmm. And the person argued that she was one of like six people who actually had the power to stop what's happening today. That, that would also require her to have the fucking foresight of, of being able to see the future. Like that's you know it's well, it's then fucking they asinine. That she has she had to know that they were trying to do this. She had to know. But I think I, it, Torrance is making more of an argument. She had to have the foresight to see the future that she was going to pass away in her sleep in the middle of the night after doing a workout with her her yeah, coach. I mean, you have like, to see that like we didn't know the Merrick Garland stuff would happen, right? I, I just I just can't believe it, and it's someone who identifies as very left, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> You were literally, that's literally a talking point of like why the far right hates Democrats and what doesn't, I don't know. It's well, uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't say that I have an example to share yeah. consistent with your guys's, but like, I, I want to say like to the original point about Kendrick Lamar, like he really is um, an artist that I think speaks so fluently to the black experience in America um, and in a way that is so like as a diverse thought to it. And I, I almost like, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about like, damn in that, in that, in that way that like how unapologetically black it is, but also so intelligent in its perspective that it offers that, you know, Kendrick has been so clear minded in communicating that we are not a monolith and then our experiences, yes, because of this country, intersect at every turn, no matter what kind of black person you are in this country, who you are as a black person, because of the system and the, and the country that we belong to, you have to be all of them. You have to be ready to be all of them, right? And and I'm, I'm you know, you guys know that I'm currently in, a, in an August Wilson production of Joe Turner's Come and Gone. And August Wilson, you know, was a playwright who did that very well. All of his century cycle, all 10 plays that are from the perspective of the African-American experience in in every decade of the 20th century, he so eloquently and at times even 
controversially writes these perspectives of, of, of Black characters that are nonetheless true, but always weaves them through the singular experience of Blackness in America, right? And 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 I've always thought that Kendrick, and even more so now that you share that piece, does that so well. Um, but to the point that you guys were both making, I think that like, interesting thought, and we've had some off of, off air, that like with yours, Caleb, it's like, it's just like, it's just a random ass fucking thought about something that that like doesn't like there's no logic to offer there because every everything would require an unknown the hypothetical like if she knew she was gonna die if we knew that mitch mcconnell was gonna hold up and also that argument completely lets mitch mcconnell off the hook for his corrupt actions in our in our government right so like that's where i hate that but to to yours trail on another thing that we've talked about off air that i think is even more important is like do i not agree with like with what they're saying of course i don't know that i agree with them but i actually am very interested in like what lived experience brings you to that assessment of nancy pelosi right like i assume it has it's got to do a bit with not understanding everything that she's done or the 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 totality of her views on these things but i think that like there's something to be said about us as a democratic party to understand why people feel that way what lived experience and circumstance provides for that perspective and how do we as a party who says we act that we care about those people identify solutions that actually meet those people's needs because we can keep saying they don't know they're not reading they don't they're not as informed enough but at the end of the day we're saying we represent them so fucking represent them right like there's there's something to be learned from that and i think that it's important for us to to think about that and i i hope that you guys recognize the way that i'm i'm speaking on these things after digesting you know certain feedback that we've gotten um and using it in a and i think productive way uh, to, to, to move conversations <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you bring up a, a great point. And uh, I mean, the Democratic Party has always had the issue of being a big tent party, right? But I do think both what you bring up, Torrance, and what you brought up, Caleb, are kind of the crux of it is at what point have you moved so far left that you've actually circumvented the spectrum and you've moved to the other side? Yeah. And rooted in that is an understanding that Bernie Sanders wasn't independent. The only reason he ran as a Democratic candidate is because he thought it was more viable to get his message across, which he's done successfully. So at what point do we start having a more important conversation from that perspective of, I'm hearing you, I'm listening to you, but Nancy Pelosi is not the conservative you're making her out to be. Your argument that her saying we need a two-party system and that being too much is exactly in line with the current conservative party that we're seeing. These are places that we need to be more thoughtful of. And I, I just, in this moment, appreciate both of your perspectives in seeing that. Well, I want to, I want to like reaffirm you because something that I, you, we've talked about many times and I have to say on air is that the flaw almost universally in the very far left perspective on these things, almost almost every single opinion that I've heard from them is that it doesn't account for the very real reality that whether that's whether it's miscounted in the the conservative faction of our country is 20, 30, you know, 40 percent, not actually up to 50. They fucking exist. And if you if you desire to still live in a democracy, you don't get to just stop caring about what they think altogether. Right. Like what what dream are you in where half of 400 million people or even 30% of 40, 400 million people is going to be a non-problem. Like, what the fuck? Like, like, what do you mean? Like, we have the right to protest. We have the right, like, like, uh, what do you think is not going to be a problem by ignoring an entire faction that are also your fellow citizens in which your rights are, and, and, and I know the conservative party doesn't fight like this, so, you know, whatever. But as, as someone who believes in democracy, like, your rights are 
entangled with theirs. Like and 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 those are those cannot those are inextricable. You cannot separate the two. And and to to make political or govern governing arguments that do not take that into account is wholly fucking idiotic. It is because it's unrealistic. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, Torrance. Like, that's the thing is like the a lot of the viewpoints from the far left are like, oh, this is rigged, or oh, like, like this is how it should be. And it's like, I don't know, maybe it should be that way. Maybe we should have all these good programs and stuff for people. Maybe, maybe it should be, but like you have to understand that the way our governmental system works and you can think it's broken all you want and you can want it to be burned down all you want, but the way it, and it works, might be, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know if I always disagree with that argument, but the, the part I do disagree with is like this, it has to happen right now or it's over kind of mentality. And that's just not how it works. And trust me, it frustrates me a little bit, especially with like climate change. And like, I don't want to, I don't want my kids to fucking burn up because <laughs> you're still planning to have kids. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> like it's something you actually have to think about at our age, right? With, yeah. With, yeah. No, seriously. Where the future yeah. of the earth will be. And like, so I understand like the frustration, but like a lot of people come in and honestly, this might just be me spending too much time on Twitter. Um, but Twitter is such a matter of fact space. Like when people say stuff on Twitter, it's their way or the highway. They're right. And everyone else is wrong. And then it's so toxic. Yeah, you could do that a little bit. I was bit. like, I, I'm never wrong on Twitter. So I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about, but continue. <laughs> but I mean, just like, there's just so many people, especially on the left, who make these bold claims about how politics should be or what should have happened without taking in any context at all about the situation at hand or whatnot. And I'm not thinking about I don't I don't have a thought on the top of my head about what I mean by that. But I mean, I just reading Twitter, I just I'm just I'm just dumbfounded about how many people just take someone's tweet as fact sometimes when it's just not reality. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have an example in my head, but it's it's slipped into me a little bit. So I'll come back to it. Well, on that topic, I, I just want to before we if we move on to something else, I want to say like, We've been having like such an intentional conversation as us three hosts about how we discuss these kinds of things because we individually each have some pretty progressive views on things. And Whoa. and sometimes I feel like that doesn't and I, oh fuck. See, I see, see, this is why I can't the ally listen. on the line is <laughs> progressive. Ally, uh, um <laughs> that that like that we have progressive we have some progressive and even and even maybe even considered like le far left policy views on some things but this and, and I, I implore our listeners our audience anyone to reach out with with you know really tangible feedback on this but the thing that like i always get caught up on is that like as someone who is is getting into the law into governing you can't just say something without a plan to achieve it and i seem to never hear the plan and it's like i'm not saying i have it i'm actually saying i don't and that's why i'm not making these these large sweeping claims about these about these left-leaning policies it's like well i i can't just i can't act like i have a plan of something i don't have but i can say i'm for you on a policy if you can tell me how we get there there has to be a path we live in a society with people with laws with governments broken and as corrupt as they may ever be there has to be a plan to 
dismantle them to change laws. I mean, there, there has to be a plan. It's not simply going to be because we want it to be or believe it should be. And so like the, I, I would like to work with whoever is, is interested in it. And as I continue, you know, my life and, and, and politics and, and government and the law, like try to build real tangible plans to achieve the things that I say I want within the system I understand is not going to just be going away overnight or something, you know, and I, I, and we've been trying to have really, you know, I think tangible conversations about how we open up the discussion about those things so that it doesn't seem that we're not addressing very real policy debates within the democratic party in which we all three identify as members of like that we're actually being productive about it. And I feel very strongly about this and it's something that I've been trying to put so much intention behind. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And that's, you said it a lot better than me, but exactly. Like there's all these complaints and I find, I find like very leftist Twitter to be very cynical yes. and that's not very helpful to be productive because it's never productive. It's never, Oh, here's the plan to do it. Um, here's how we're going to do this. It's always just these complaints and these bold claims of things that just don't make sense when you actually add context into it. And like, like the um, Ruth Bader uh, Ginsburg thing, that claim that it's her fault <laughs> that we're here now with Roe v. Wade. Because, like, are you fucking kidding me? What like, does it accomplish? It doesn't accomplish fucking shit. Right. It right. defies it logic and there's no context to it. And you're, you're right. Like you said earlier, it lets one party totally off the hook who's been aiming for this for a long time. It's just that that's what really frustrates me about and i'm not trying to like bag on only the left because obviously there's one whole side of, of no, bag I, on think, I think we bag on the right often i don't I think that we're them. leaving them behind both yeah. are bad there's, there's one whole there's one whole party that is very out to uh you know destroy democracy as we've as we've seen over the last several years but but good gods there needs to be some more productivity because you're right torrents i don't disagree with half of the policy measures that that people want on that side it's just that it's so unproductive and cynical it's like i don't even want to work with y'all anymore if you're going to be like this yeah i mean i'm going to keep working towards them right but yeah yeah, i'm just saying it sometimes it's very frustrating i guess twitter as a space makes me frustrated though so that's probably where i get some of that well we should probably use that segue oh god (laughs) i just want to i just want to close with we had the answer elizabeth warren she had the policies. She understood. Weeping, but, weeping. But <laughs> God forbid a woman aspires to have the highest office and challenge a white male. And also, God forbid, a woman understands and is above the caliber of a white man to actually have the policies down and understand how it gets done versus just the aspiration of some dude who sits in his mittens at the inaugural address looking like a mump. Um, yes, that Get was a purpose. That was Get off him. Geez. Also, you'd be trying to rile up the Bernie boys. Also, <laughs> I just want to highlight that after all the conversations we've had on this pod, after all the points that I've said, um, it's fun to watch you guys kind of start to move towards my side of the, the aisle, if you will, and recognize that some things I've been saying for a while have been pretty accurate. Oh, do not allow me to be misrepresented. Okay. I'm not not misrepresenting you. I think our listeners will hear on this podcast specifically that you you articulate a lot of similar things that I've said before. Caleb actually copied and pasted a whole thing I've said (laughs) two seconds ago. Well, it's because I typically understand your logic. I just would contextualize it differently, which I believe I have done. I contextualize. Um, (laughs) Never mind. Moving on, it's truly spring cleaning. Um, uh, so I'm gonna I want to break this up to um, a more a more 
lighthearted uh, topic, something that I am really excited to talk about, and it may be a little sad about, but I just want I want to highlight it, and that is um, going full tilt on the entertainment and content is um, Netflix's new show Heartstopper, um, and oh my god, you guys can imagine Terrell is a completely um, <laughs> insufferable <laughs> member of our LGBTQ plus community. He, has, oh. he does not enjoy he does not enjoy love and happiness and joy. Um, but that. this. I, I enjoyed this... Jackson Avery and April from Grey's Anatomy. Like, what more do you want from me? But I bring up Heartstopper. So Heartstopper is a um, new teen drama that is on, or, or really teen drama adapted from a graphic novel by Alice Usman. Um, and it follows these two young guys. One is you know this out gay kid, and the other is the rugby star um, who's a year older than him and is not out, and they become friends. And like slowly, Nick Nelson, the, the rugby star, kind of um has has a has a bisexual awakening which like for starters there i think that like having this this bisexual representation um on on television is incredibly important because i think that as we've seen in the statistics in the lgbtq plus community it is the largest the largest um share of our community and and that's because i mean i think there's a growing belief right that that, that the, there's a large um, po- percentage of our population as a whole that actually are bisexual. And that's something that I think most people are now starting to have conversations about and be more open about. Um, and that the the experience of, of Nick Nelson coming out as bisexual and discovering his sexuality is probably a lot more relatable for a larger part of the audience, uh, audience than being gay. And there's, I want to touch on a few things. I think there's an opportunity for good conversation here um, that, this this is one of the few, if not the only, real content that is pretty much purely joy. Um, that it, it is not mired in you know the trope around HIV, around you know deep violence. It allows for two young boys in in high school to actually just have that happy story that we see um, with, with obviously like, I think, you know, the normal amount of conflict in it. Like, I've, you know, there's, there's some bullying in it. He is a gay kid. Like those things are realities that need to be represented. I think with, with that um, genuine sincerity, but nonetheless, I think it's more akin to the romantic storylines that we've been seeing our entire life um, about heterosexual couples. And I, it's just really exciting as someone who's been um, a voracious intaker of queer queer content that I've had to actively seek out foreign foreign you know shows foreign films to really get to really see myself reflected in the experiences that I have or will be going through reflected and I'm just so excited about the success of Heartstopper on Netflix it is one of, it was on the top shows it had one of the most streamed hours for two weeks after which is saying a lot because it's a it's a six episode or six or eight episode half hour show so there's not as many hours so we're talking about a lot of people viewing it um and I'm just incredibly excited about that but on the flip side, and I think this has been on social media uh, and people have been sharing their experiences, and this is something that I have experienced many, many, many times with different queer content, is that there's this overwhelming sense of joy about the content and the story that we're getting as a queer community, but then this very melancholy sadness around around this almost missing out on that because that's not the truth of most people in the queer community it's not their their experience um you know i didn't have anyone that i got to fall in love with in high school i didn't get to go on dates i didn't get to go to dances to prom um with a guy and and those are things that to this day um having gone through getting over a lot of the trauma of coming out like it's the one thing that like i even tell my mom like i'm not sure that that's ever gonna go away i think that the mourning that loss the not having it is something that it's it's so I think formative in people's lives and heterosexual people's lives. And because of the content we receive 
TV shows and films, it's it's message to us how formative that's supposed to be and how important it is to an identity, you know, as an individual, as a teenager, that like it feels like such a catastrophic loss to not have had that. Um, like you've been robbed of this very real normal thing that everyone else gets. Um, and I just want to say, you know, like that is really valid. And I think that it's important um, to, you know, process those feelings as, as however you see fit. Um, but at the end of the day to remember that, like, just because I experienced it doesn't mean I want, you know, other people after me to have to. And I'm, I could not be more overjoyed that this piece of content exists for young queer kids to see themselves, to say, you deserve to have that and you should not allow anything to stop you from it because I was not getting that. And also I wasn't being told I deserved it either. And that was really, you know, that really spoke to my self-worth and how I looked at romance. So uh, I, I had to rave about this. I'm so excited about it. Terrell, please share your, um, your opinions of no oh oh he he he's either has none or he is respecting how how sentimental i was about 100% that percent respecting you as a person yeah 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 <laughs> gonna, be com- gonna be gonna be completely honest respecting face. you as a person um it's a show that exists on netflix <laughs> You're well torrance it sounds like it sounds like i haven't seen the show and it sounds like i need to add it to my list so thank you <laughs> I think I was like, there's an awkward silence because I feel like you guys are like, he's gonna say something. Like, I really, I'm glad that you had that experience from the show. I do think it's important to recognize that as the bisexual on the line, it is nice to see bisexuals represented because our community is very quick to say either, oh, you're just bi because it's still acceptable. So when your family asks, you can be like, oh, I like girls or whatever bullshit they decide to pick on. Um, it's well, can I talk to you about that fun. then? Like I, sure. I, there's something about that. that like, because <laughs> like I understand that. Like, well, here's you know, I understand that, like you don't have obviously the same exact experience. Like I, as an actor and as a writer, like attach so much, you know, to like that kind of content. Like it's, it is what I, I mean. I, you know, it's my interest, right? It's the art that I find valuable. Um, but to the to the content, a conversation that I was wanted to ask you about is there was I was listening to another podcast, kind of this dismissiveness over nick nelson's character coming out as bisexual how he kind of goes through the process of it and you know my my first you know boyfriend that i dated was bisexual and and it was something that we talked about a lot because it was i don't don't want to call it a blind spot it was something i didn't have any firsthand i think understanding of that but even beyond that i understand something more deep about it which is they were talking about how like oh you would just know right like he looks like how do i know i'm gay and all these things in the show and like they're talking about how unrealistic that is and i just think that that kind of rhetoric around this is so fucking like you know biphobic and and, and unhelpful because like one thing i think is totally missing from that that strikes me as very very real is that like being gay once you realize that you're not attracted to women, like that it's just not happening for you the way that it is happening to all the people next to you. And you start to realize that you are attracted to men. Like it becomes very clear because they're, they're, uh, they're black and white contrasts, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing happening. There's something happening. And I think that what is like really important and, and way more nuanced, and I would love for you to speak to it, Terrell, is like, is, 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 actually identifying with society's pressure being like oh yeah i am into women which like also compounded with the oppression like oh well i could just have this easier life taking that path even if i am right or how hard it would be to parse that when you do have the attraction you don't have it's not as equally contrasted to 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 make the understanding about yourself and can be much more confusing because you're like well it's not that i don't like women right like that i can see how that would be so much less 
con- confirming inside as a, as yeah. an attraction and a feeling in a way that like once you figure out you're not, it's just so easy to figure out and not easy to figure out, but it's more clear yeah. once you realize it. And I'm just curious, like, what do you think about that? Because I felt that to be like a really harmful comment coming out. Of, and and obviously not shocking, right? From from, no. from the very problematic white gaze. Um, and, I'm talking from the community. The community yeah. never cares about bisexuals. <laughs> like, and maybe that's why I'm so harsh on the show. Like, it, I think everything you highlight is true and valid but also there's a a point there of there's a different pressure that you get being bisexual and having that realization of i do like both like i'm in the locker room changing and i i can't help but try to glance but i shouldn't because everything in society specifically speaking as a 90s kid 90s kid tells me that's weird and that's wrong like maybe i'll grow out of it like the mental turmoil that you go through as a bisexual is so much worse. And that's why most bisexuals don't come out until their twenties, their thirties, when they've had all of these experiences with um, males and female or with females and they question it. I mean, you have, I, to mirror and foil your point on prom, you have that, that ideal prom experience, but then you get to, what everyone expects is supposed to be like, oh, this is going to be your, your it. Like that's your girl for the rest of your life. And you have these questions. And then when any problem happens in your relationship, because maybe you do present more of them on a femme side, like I did growing up, you have people constantly telling you, well, you're just gay. Like you're just not paying attention to it. And you have to ask those questions and be like, well, maybe I am gay. Maybe I'm just keeping you around because I'm stupid. And it, the way we handle bisexuality in this country is so awful because we are a country that functions in a binary. It is hard for people to understand this gray area, this perspective that um, you can like both. And then even for people who do find that for any buys that might be listening, you hear the conversation of, well, which do you like more? Are you 60, 40? Are you 70, 30? You can't, you can't be 50, 50. There's no perfect bisexual. So it's just all of those pieces where, like, yeah, so great. Glad I got to see two guys be happy together, but it was, it just isn't my thing. And then you get the problematic white gays who over sexualize it and then make it into a why can't I, as a white twink, have the same kind of love as those white twinks? And it's just, I, I despise it. Yeah, yeah. I want. I'm happy that you are voicing the the disdain for the people's response, right? And less so, like the actual yeah. the actual content. You know, and I'm using this as an opportunity because I think I I would like to be someone who's actively trying to change this narrative and in the way that we talk about bisexuality. Um, just because I, when something's brought to me, I would like to be someone who like actually makes intentional changes or acts that 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 speaks to the values I espouse. And another thing that I think that like with your what you're talking about with being attracted to both that like is is never taken into account when we're talking about like just sexuality and attraction is like you could be for example you could be 90% attracted to women and 10% attracted to men. It doesn't mean that the women around you are going to be the one that you want. Like you you there could be the one guy that it doesn't matter how attracted you are to women. Like if that's who you're falling for, if that's who you love, if that's where all if that's where your heart is taking you and your attraction is taking you, like that is something way more powerful and real than any any suggested percentage of attraction to one gender or the other or not at all. Right. Like th- that that it, it misses the whole point that like we are companionable loving beings to our nature and it is what drives us not just sexual sexuality our attraction so you know 
that's something that I think is also really important. Yeah. But then you have the opposite effect happening now because also speaking as a nineties kid, you grew up during the metrosexual era where it was like, Oh, it's okay to get your nails done and like have your hair did all that jazz. And we're starting to see a, um, rejuvenation of that, if you will, where you have more celebrities. This is a segue, of course. You have more celebrities exploring fashion in a different way. You have things like the Met Gala where men are showing up in more flamboyant uh, outfits and things. Granted, Jay Little. Jarrett Leto's outfit was atrocious and anyone who thinks that that was a good look is just vehemently wrong, but you have, you have more men who feel comfortable taking those opportunities. And I think those type of things matter to me more because it's pushing that binary. But you know what? I'm not going to lie. This is more of like jokingly, but like, don't say that was a good outfit. No, 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 no. I'm saying like to the point that you're making like something that's been very interesting that I'm like, I never could have foreseen as a as a uh, a byproduct of like pushing the, the gender norms and stuff like that and the binary is that like, you know, it used to be very, it used to be, used to be easier to identify to identify members of our community, right? Like be to identify guys today, <laughs> right? Like, now it's like, oh, I don't know. They're all wearing short shorts and a crop top. I can't fucking figure it out. Like I don't like... <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, makes it a little hard to tell. But uh, I'll send this to you, Terrell. Do you have any any opinions, Caleb, on Met, on buys, on <laughs> whatever else we've covered in the this very weird entertainment section? Well, by the way, um, <laughs> sorry. I had That's to. how I came out, actually. Yeah. That was my caption on Instagram. It was like, by the way, happy pride. So, <laughs> clever. Nice, nice. I love the uh, the the puns at every turn. I know you do. Um, well, I'll be real. I don't uh, uh, usually watch the Met Gala. It might be helpful to, for people understanding what the Met Gala is. I, I don't know. I just didn't even pay attention to it. I'll be real. <laughs> it's a fundraiser for for the Met, the, Met, the Metropolitan. Yeah, well, it's for the Museum. for their costume institute specifically. Yeah. And and this, you know, it benefits the Costume Institute, which is a lesser funded, um, I would say, form of art in film and television. Um, but it also is meant to complement, because I think we get caught up in the fashion of the people that are arriving. But really, the whole thing is about the exhibit that's being put on by the curator at the Met. That is where, where, what the whole theme is about, right? So this year it was America, a, an anthology of fashion. It was meant to... Um, talk about what it means to be an American, right? Like they, and to celebrate dressmakers and costumers of, of the American, um, you know, variety or just, you know, costumes and dressmakers across history. And then they kind of added another theme out of this year with gilded glamour that really, I think was very confusing for people. Right. Um, Because like, for example, like there was this really, really awesome piece of the exhibit in the Met um, that had this white dress, that had it was a former Miss America dress, and it had a sash on it that said "Who gets to be American," right? Like, so like there are like these really like it, it's a it's about the art and it's about the fashion, but I think we get too focused on the celebrity part of it, and it's like we're supposed to be highlighting these designers, these dressmakers, these artists. That's what the Met is. It's the Metropolitan Museum of Art, um, and and that was something that like I think I continually get a little frustrated with us missing the point. Like, let's have fun. Let's talk about what's happening on the on the red carpet. Of course, that's entertainment and it's fun. But like, when we miss the point altogether and we're not focusing 
um, on the people that it's meant to be focused on. Sometimes I get really frustrated by that because it does feel like the rest of it's performative at that point. Yeah, I I, I would just add one extra caveat too is the reason the red carpet has become such a, an intense and focused place is because a part of the art exhibit has become what are designers interpretations of this theme and how do they understand it? So you get a Blake Lively walking out in this extravagant gown that is showing the Gilded Age. And then she reveals into a even bigger, broader gown that is emblematic of the Statue of Liberty and is purposefully showing the cha- the oxi- oxidized dies the oxidization i can't say that word today apparently oxidization that one <laughs> um of the statue of liberty from its original copper color to this more lady liberty color like that was the reason she had this outfit right you have um what's her face cardi b showing up in versace but in a blinged out version of versace showing showing the real gilded side of it but to your point too torrens you have Rihanna being honored by the museum and having a statue made in her honor and put into the main foyer that was brought up and is amazing and so emblematic of the impact she's not only had in the music industry, but the fashion industry and culture. Also, it's a a statue of her while she's pregnant, which I just think is amazing. Um, But it kind of falls on deaf ears because everyone's too busy talking about Jared Leto or talking about Shawn Mendes looking like Dr. Strange. Like, all of these pieces. looking beautiful. I mean, that oh my <laughs> lord, he is just whether it's your thing or not. He is a very he's attractive, sure, beautiful man. Yeah, like you know his his facial structure is gorgeous, and and I think that. But his outfit was hit or miss. Um. Yeah. It, I, yeah. I don't know if it's like thematic, right? Like, but but nonetheless, I was like, I mean, I'd wear it. I'm not sort of there. Um. But. Another thing that I just like to offer information on it too, just as people are watching it in the future, that so something to be understood about the celebrity piece of it is that one, everyone is, is a designer buys a table. These are very, very expensive tickets. And then they invite celebrities to wear their cost, their costumes, their dresses, their outfits on the red carpet and then sit at, and then sit at their table. Right. So a point to be made about people when they're like, Oh, like that's a fucking ugly dress. Well, you know, maybe that's your opinion. I, I prefer people to say it's not your thing because it might be someone else's thing, whether you think it's ugly or not. But the thing to, to understand about that is they don't choose it. They don't choose it. Sometimes the the designer will collaborate with them and want to really hear what they want to do and try to you know make it make it a a collaboration. Sometimes it's like you aren't high enough on the totem pole. We're inviting you because you were in this movie this year. You're wearing this exact thing. And like one of the things that was being talked about is like all these short dresses that were these these actors and actresses that were styled by Louis Vuitton that like were just I'm just not in the fucking like wheelhouse of either of the two themes, right? And so something to think about when you're looking at these later is like, one, I think that's a way to remember this is about the dressmakers. This is about the designers, right? If you're talking about what they're wearing, but you remember that like these people didn't choose it. Um, um, other than like, you know, and here's something, if you do are into the fashion, little tip to go look at, if you didn't ever notice, Blake Lively matches her dress to the, to the uh, carpet every single year. So if you ever go look at how cool her fucking evolution is, her dress always matches the carpet color, which like talk about intention, talk about like detail. Like that's what I love about her, whether I love her look or not. Every time it's like the intention and attention to detail is so present. And that makes me a fan because it means it's not just me showing up and being a celebrity. I am intentionally being a part of the art. Okay. I I absolutely just learned something there. I didn't know that they weren't, I didn't know they yeah. didn't get to choose their, what they wore. That's pretty oh, cool. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 
much more respect and appreciation for it. Maybe I'll have to pay attention more next year. Oh, we love it. We've achieved something. That was the goal of providing that info. <laughs> well, to the queen who I personally feel won the night for Met Gala, it's about damn time that we had the spring cleaning to really air out and talk about all of these pieces and all these things that are happening in pop culture, in our country. And honestly, just I wanted to segue to highlight Lizzo because she's amazing. Um, but this has been such a great opportunity to dive into things that we don't normally get to talk about. We hope you all are able to enjoy and and really kind of get some really nuanced pieces on um, just what's happening. Also, if you get the opportunity, check out the Met Gala. Listen to Kendrick Lamar's most recent album. I'll even give a shout out to Heartstopper and say that um, you should watch it or give it a chance. Wow. But while you're on that, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerously at gmail.com. Hit us with a like, hit us with some reviews and let us know how we've been doing. Um, be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes. My name is Terrell Couch. I'm Caleb Smith. And I'm Torrance Witherspoon. And we're Dangerously, and we're dangerously Likely. likely. See, you see you next week. Dangerously Likely.